Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Scandals of Yesteryear podcast. Uh, this is episode two and I am your host, Gene Hollywood. Uh, today I figured we'd do something a little different. Maybe I should have done in the first episode, which uh, was just to give kind of an overall view of where, of, uh, of Hollywood at the time uh, that we're talking about, which is the very early part of the 20th century up to, I'm fascinated with the time, up to about 1927, which is when, uh, kind of the end of the silent era. Um, but we're going to go beyond that in this podcast and in a little bit in this uh, history, sort of. Anyway, I figured we'd go into the early history of Hollywood as far as making movies. You know, Thomas Edison, uh, he had a motion picture company in New York City. And what he did, he owned all the patents. And anyone, apparently, everyone who made a movie uh, back at the time had to uh, had to pay... Thomas Edison for use of the patent. Basically, uh, in 1910, D.W. Griffith comes from the Biograph Company. He's sent by Edison's company uh, to scout locations in Southern California. Uh, He stays there for months. He makes several films. Then he returns to New York. In 1913, there's an influx of movie makers headed to California and to Hollywood in particular to avoid paying the uh, fees imposed by Thomas Edison, who, like I said, he owned all the patents. In 1900, just an interesting little fact, in 1900, Hollywood was a dirt town, 500 people living in it. They had one intersection. So when Griffiths got there in 1910, I mean, there wasn't much, you know, much but tumbleweeds and, you know, but it was perfect for filming that kind of old west stuff that was extremely popular back then. It, a lot of people moved out here, and and in the early days of film, they were filmed all over the place. It wasn't just in Hollywood. Uh, movies were made in cities all over the country, and they started little by little migrating to Hollywood because of the climate. Uh, long sunny days, they could film outside. It made it nice. It was like I said, mild climate, reliable sun. Uh, they could shoot outdoors year-round. There was varied scenery. 1915 was the epic silent film Birth of a Nation, directed by D.W. Griffith, who coined most of the uh, movie-making vocabulary that we that, that we that people use today. Every, you know, everything from action and cut to you know everything. Um, he was one of the first. He was definitely the biggest at the time, uh, biggest movie director. And that movie is famous for being, apparently, I've never seen it. I'm not much of a film buff. I don't like the silent films. I like the actors. I'm fascinated with the actors because you can't, you can't hear what you can't, you know, they, they were overacting so much that you can't really get a feel for who they were. And then you hear all these crazy stories about them and it kind of puts it, you know, puts it more they they were more like real people on their film their films don't look like uh, natural it was a different movie making process back then but you know anyway but like i say birth of a nation is uh, apparently a big racist film there's a whole big scene of ku klux klan and their their real legitimate klansmen um that were hired for the you know 
um, for it. They burn crosses. They do all kinds of stuff in that movie. Uh, apparently, I've only read about it. I don't know. But I did read something interesting about it the other day that said, uh, adjusting for inflation, that Birth of a Nation is still in the top ten of uh, grossing films. And that came out in 1915. So, you can just imagine the size of the crowds. Movies were a nickel then. So, adjust that for inflation. And, you know, what's a movie now? Ten bucks. And so, you can see how many people, at a nickel a pop, it made millions back then. And uh, that's just unreal. Cecil B. DeMille, famous director, he sets up a studio in 1913. He's one of the folks that comes out to avoid Edison. Uh, Charlie Chaplin sets up his studio in 1917. So there's some, you know, a couple of famous dates. Uh, the Hollywood sign, which back then was Hollywood Land, that um, the Hollywood sign is a, is built in 1923, erected in 1923, and uh, the Hollywood sign. Well, I'll probably do a show on just the Hollywood sign. It has an interesting history as well. They they wanted to tear it down. The people got together and and fought the tearing it down. Then they had to. They've had several. Uh, fundraisers over the years and whatnot. Anyway, it's got a very interesting tale. I'll do a podcast about it in one of the upcoming episodes, maybe. In the early 20th century, yeah, like I said, the Nickelodeons were storefront theaters, and uh, their admission price was a nickel, and you would go in and you could watch the watch the films. Another thing about these Nickelodeon theaters and, and silent films, um, when they would go around, there there was no there was no sound at all so someone in your local theater would be playing the piano live they didn't know what to play it didn't come with some of them came with scores and and sheet music but a lot of them didn't come with anything and it was just like plinkety plink plink plinkety plink plink and they would be watching the film as well and and the action sped up the people would kind of speed up and then the action slowed down and got sad they would kind of play a little sad but the piano player had to really keep you know, keep going. It was pretty interesting, and then especially no 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 spoken dialogue. Of course, um, they used gestures. They used mime. They used the, they used uh, the title cards that you know told the story in little blurbs. And like I said, 1927 signifies the end of the silent movie era, as uh, with the release of the Jazz Singer. Yes, Neil Diamond was still alive back then and that was Neil Diamond's first no I'm just kidding um 1927 saw the release of the jazz singer with mammy how I love you how I love you mammy Al Jolson sad fact that I've learned in the recording of this podcast is that uh 2013 report by the Library of Congress announced that 70% of American silent films are completely lost 70%. Unbelievable. So, you know, a fire back in a thing takes out the whole studio of X. You know, and you're so... But it's very sad to think that uh, that we've lost that many. We'll never know. And I know that these movies are very dated for for modern audiences. Looking back, you have to be almost a film student or or a serious film buff to get any... But if you look at some of those old comedies... 
they are hilarious. You just have to take yourself out of the fact that you've seen them a thousand times. Because back then, or a million times, back then, people hadn't seen any of that type of stuff a thousand times. They hadn't seen authority get a pie in the face. They hadn't seen, you know, Harold Lloyd hanging from the clock like that, doing all those, uh, you know, crazy... You know, and if you're interested in this kind of stuff, just go to YouTube and type in, you know, Harold Lloyd and type in Charlie Chaplin and type in Buster Keaton and, uh, just watch a five minute video. You know, it doesn't take long. And just, you know, you can see some of the stuff these guys were doing, some of these stunts, the seat of their pants, no safety apparatus whatsoever. And, uh, you know, film had, they had no idea. So they were all, they were making it up as they went. You know, they really are fun. Okay, some of the early studios. Uh, we had Warner Brothers Studios. Warner Brothers Pictures, uh, 1923, set up by Jack Harry, Albert and Sam. Hello, Mr. Warner. I'm back. You had Adolf Zucker's Famous Players. That was formed in 1912. And they merged in 1916 with Feature Play to form the Famous Players Lasky Corporation, which became Paramount Pictures in 1927. You had RKO, which is the Radio Keith Orpheum Pictures. RKO Pictures um, evolved from the Mutual Film Corporation in 1912. And... Uh, they were formed by a uh, theater chain, which is kind of interesting. It was the smallest studio of the majors. There were five major studios in the in the early parts. In the early days, there was uh, Marcus Lowe, Lowe's, not related to the Lowe's Home, like Home Depot people. Uh, Lowe's uh, was the parent firm of what eventually became Metro-Golden-Mayer. Uh, Metro Pictures, founded in 1916 by Louis B. Mayer, but he left in 1918 to start his own picture company. 1920, they formed, they all got together to form MGM. 1924, rather, it was ultimately 20, it formed with the merger of Metro Gold, Metro Pictures, Goldwyn Pictures, and Louis B. Mayer Pictures. The infamous lion that we all see before movies, MGM was first done in 1928. And then there was Fox. The Fox Film Corporation was founded in 1912 uh, in New York by Nickelodeon owner William Fox. In 1935, it became 20th Century Fox, which was the uh, Fox Film and 20th Century Pictures merged and became 20th Century Fox. And so there you have that. That's kind of interesting. Then they also, that was the big five. And then they also had what they referred to at the time as the little three, which was Universal Pictures, which was uh, by Carl Amell, 1912. Then United Artists was formed in 1919 by Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks, and Charlie Chaplin. Um, I'm getting ready to watch the movie Chaplin, which uh, has a bit to do with that. And uh, my wife hasn't seen that, and I'm hoping to get her to watch it. It's an excellent movie. Columbia Pictures was the third of the little three. There were Poverty Row Studios. It's an independent. Then they had extravagant movie palaces back then. They had, uh, the, you know, Grauman's Theater. Well, now it's Man's Chinese Theater, where all the uh, footprints and handprints of the stars. Uh, legend is that uh, Grauman 
the owner, Sid Grauman, immortalized his own footprints in the wet cement and invited Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks to do the same. Uh, the first ten, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks, Norma Talmadge, Norma Shearer, Harold Lloyd, William S. Hart, Tom Mix and Tony, his horse, Colleen Moore, Gloria Swanson, Constance Talmadge, and Charlie Chaplin, all between 1927 and 1928. Um, those are the first ten, and uh, we'll get into most of those names on that list in this podcast. Pickford and Fairbanks will be coming up pretty soon. And that's just a little history of early Hollywood. Next week, we'll get back into the uh, into the scandals, which is the, you know, the name and the point of this. But I didn't figure that I could go into... It's so far back, and people don't remember who any of these people are. They don't know who any of these people are. Um, and I will try and round that out in future episodes. This was just a little... Just a little history. I know it's a little disjointed. I'm still getting the hang of this. Uh, the next episode is going to cover uh, Fatty Arbuckle and uh, the scandal that ended his career, essentially, effectively. And as I said in the past, we'll go through many of the names. We'll learn a little bit about, about people such as Douglas Fairbanks, Charlie Chaplin, Lon Chaney, Mary Pickford, Rudolph Valentino, about Tom Mix, Lillian Gish, Jackie Coogan. We'll learn some of these names, we'll learn some of their work, and mostly we'll learn about the scandals, Hollywood scandals of yesteryear. So join us next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can check it out on Facebook at the uh, Hollywood Scandals of Yesteryear page. Look up Gene Hollywood on Facebook and get in touch with me. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.